The title of tonight's service is A Confidence Sandwich. Take that. (laughs) A Confidence Sandwich. But I want to encourage you tonight. I want to speak words of life into you because God is pleased with us. God is pleased with you. I want you to just breathe that in. Keith, God is pleased with you. Amen. He's pleased with you. Enjoy that. Drink that in. I've been thinking and, and contemplating. We'll get to Hebrews 10 in just a second. Um, DJ, are you, are you working the Scriptures tonight for me? Um, would you go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9? Stay in Hebrews if you want. We're going to put them up on the screen, or you're welcome to join us there. Matthew 6, 9. As soon as you get it, put it on up there. Amen. All right, there it is. This then is how you should pray. I like things that are clearly explained to me. Thank you, Lord, for giving me clear instruction. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Lord, holy be your name. Going on. We'll go on to the next one. Amen. Your kingdom come. There you go. You will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This phrase has been, um, it's been germinating. It's been, I've been musing on it. I've been taking it and chewing on it and thinking on it. Just this one phrase, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's why I'm bringing this up. This is our job is to say, not only is this how we're supposed to pray, but this is how we're supposed to live. That our life will be this prayer. Lord, your kingdom come. The thing that you already have established there, wherever there is right now, that it will come. We believe that one day this will actually happen, that the presence of God, He will come up and set up His holy place with us here on this earth. His kingdom will come. But until we see it, then we are supposed to say, I will take what I am learning from the heavenlies and I will make it real in my life here. I will take something that is not of this world and I will show it to those people in this world. I will take His kingdom, I will make it come and let His will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I'm taking the truth that we're finding. I'm taking this and I'm bringing it down to here. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 7. And it says this. Matthew 10, 7. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. You know why it's near? Because we're here. You know why it's near? It's because He's already come and He lives on the inside of us. The King of this other kingdom resides in me and therefore I am of the same material as my King. I am a new creature. Old things are washed away. Behold, all things have become new. I am of a different kingdom. This world is not my home. I'm looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. That's what I'm looking for. That's who I get my orders from. That's who I'm longing for. I will go as I go, everywhere I go. When I go to work in the morning, just like you guys, when I, when I, when we come here, everywhere I go, I'm gonna say this message. Don't you like that? You don't even have to figure out what you're supposed to preach. (laughs) Preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Yes. You don't all, you don't see it fully yet. It's not here, but it's near. And actually it's near because we're standing here with the very same essence that it brings. Amen. We are in seed form what we will one day see fully manifest. The kingdom is near. Go on to the next verse. It says this. Heal the sick. You know why you can heal the sick? You cannot do that if you're of this earthly kingdom. You know why? Well, you can heal the sick because you're something else. You're something else altogether. We can heal the sick. We can raise the dead. We can cleanse those that have leprosy. That's a great study, by the way. See how many times that happened in the Bible. He's putting it out there and going, man, whatever you think is impossible, this is what you can do. This is what can happen. Drive out demons. I'm not intimidated by any demon ever. You know why? Because I'm of a different kingdom. Amen. I'm not at all intimidated by the difficulties that come. You know why? Because I am of an entirely different kingdom and every day I'm trying to take treasures both old and new out of the storehouse of heaven and I'm trying to say, God, would you give me something so that I can make it real? So I can come up to someone and say, the kingdom of heaven is near because I'm here to give you His words. That is not at all arrogance. That is a confidence. That is us building our confidence sandwich here of going, I'm of some other substance. I'm of something different and I can bring the kingdom 
near to you. <laughs> Pastor Eric spoke a couple of weeks ago on, and, and we ended that service with, when you walk into the room, everything changes. And we sing that song and we do mean the high and lofty one. We do mean that when his presence enters, everything changes. But the admonishment that night was to say, that same presence is in you. The same power that conquered the grave lives in us. The same love that overcame all of that lives inside of us. And we are something different. So when I walk in the room, things better change. Wow. Freely you have received. Freely you have received, freely give. Amen. This is, we're going to bring the kingdom here. We are here together. We're bringing the kingdom and we're saying, your kingdom come, your will be done right here in our midst, right here in my life, right here in my thoughts, right here where I am. Lord, we want to do this. Now turn to Hebrews 10. That's right. We're already there. Verse 19. I forgot. My brain went a lot of other places there. Sorry. Verse 19. This is going to be our home page for tonight, our home place. If you want to make put a mark in your Bible, because we'll come back to it wherever else we go, we will end up coming back here. We will start here and we will finish here. It says this, Therefore, a good Bible teacher of mine once said, when you see therefore, you better look to see what it's there for. Right? Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way open for us through the curtain that is His body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, that word confidence there, for all you Bible students, is number 3954 in the Strong's. Parisia. I'm not a Greek scholar, so I'm just going to pretend like that's the right way to say it, and everybody just say amen. amen. Word means boldness. Some of our translations say boldness. You know what? As I was looking into it, the idea of this is um, <laughs> is a frankness. Can you go back to verse 19 for me, DJ? Therefore, since we have confidence, it is a frankness of speech. It is a, a freedom of speech where you say, I'm not afraid to say what I actually think. It is trying to engender this, uh, we have seen fools who say too much and should have restrictions on what they are saying, but they don't have the wisdom to know that in certain places you shouldn't say certain things. At certain times, you shouldn't say certain things. Here it's saying, brothers, since we have this confidence, there's this peace that we have, there's this freedom that we have, and just like you'd be around your spouse, for instance, and you could say in a loving way, you can say, I can say anything that I need to say to my wife. Amen. I've known my wife since we were 12 years old. <clears throat> we were 12 years old when we met in church. We met in church in a youth group when we were 12 years old. We got married uh, 10 years later. I was 22, she was 21. This is a long time that we've known each other. I honestly, most of my memories at this point of my life involve my wife. Even things before we were 12 or even things that we did that did not include her, now in my mind, they just all include my wife. They're just there. And so we have this confidence. I have a confidence that I can say anything to my wife. A few years ago, we, were, uh, we, we had a, uh, a, a tense moment. We were speaking very intensely to each other. I mean, we weren't arguing anything. We were just speaking. And somewhere in the middle of that argument, we just realized, and, and the words came out of my mouth, and it actually became, it was a turning point for that entire conversation. We were both kind of going at it and trying to win a point. Neither one of us was probably right, or if it was, it was I'm sure it was her. Uh, I said, if I have to explain to you that I'm on your side at this point and the 20 something years of us knowing each other and being around each other, if I have to explain to you that I'm not trying to hurt you, then clearly I haven't lived the right kind of life. And we both just kind of went, Oh, at this point in my life with my wife, I've tried to prove it to her a hundred million ways. Sweetie, I'm for you. I might be a knucklehead, but I'm never trying to harm you, ever. That's just not it. That's not within me to do that. I might as well cut off my arm as try to hurt you. 
I had confidence. After that moment, we've actually gotten, it's actually, it's helped so many things in our life. And we had a good marriage. We were having a strong marriage before. We just went, I don't have to sit here and try to explain myself because you know I'm only after your good. Boy, you know how quickly you can get to the center of, a, of an issue when you're not having to fight all those other things? Amen. That same kind of confidence that I have with my wife because she is a godly woman. The same kind of confidence that I can say what needs to be said out of love, out of leadership, out of whatever it is, and I know that it's okay. I'm supposed to have that and more. Brothers, therefore, since we have confidence, I am confident. When I was a young man, I was overly confident. I was not smart enough to know the things that I shouldn't have had confidence in. I literally started, I would do things uh, as, a, as a high school student. And I'd be like, watch this. I will walk into the mall and pretend like I own everything. I would, just walk, I, would just, I would just randomly walk places to see if I could get through all the do not enter. You'd be surprised how many, no, don't do this. This is not a good thing. This is confidence in the wrong kind of thing. But I realized that the confidence gave me access to a lot of places. Now, I use that in a very fleshly way, and I just wanted to see if I can get past the, you know, some, I'd, I'd do it to security guards. Look them right in the eye, give them a little head nod, and walk right on through. And about 95% of the time, I'd get wherever, I'd, and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even know, <laughs> I'm so stupid, I didn't know what I was going to do on the other side of the door. I had no idea what was there. I was just like, I just want to see if I can get in. Check. How much more should we be pursuing the things of God? He said, I want you to be with me. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, I was doing it out of arrogance. This is not the kind of place that you can just bust your way up in and nobody at the the door is going to notice. But that confidence is what I'm trying to get at. We want to go boldly. We want to go confidently into the throne room. To the most holy place because it was the way was paved by the very blood of Jesus. Amen. Verse 20, by a new and a living way. Ever thought about a living way? He gave you a way. He gave you a good way. He gave us a living, a new and a living way. The word there comes from number 2198 and it means to exist in an absolute sense without end. That's the Greek. That's how it's translated. It's to exist in an absolute kind of way that doesn't have an end. He gave us a way. It's not a yellow brick road that has a start and that's going to end up and you get to a dead end, right? You're like, well, I don't know what to do now. I guess I got to beep, beep. I got to back this thing up. He's saying this is a new and a living way open for us through the curtain. Everybody say the curtain. What is that supposed to engender in your mind? This is giving you words that would remind you of the temple of the tabernacle, of the most holy place. There's this curtain there, right? Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, where it tells us that the curtain was what? It was torn from top to bottom. When Jesus died on the cross, that curtain, that veil was taken away. He's he's reminding us of this. The writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, you know all this stuff that you guys have lived with for the last thousands of years? You know the stuff that you have to do every day and every week and every month and every year and every festival you have to come and you have to see this picture? I'm reminding you of that picture because, oh yeah, it was like that God caused His kingdom to come and He put it here on earth with the Jews. He took some type of heavenly tabernacle and He said, Moses, here's what I want you to do. I'm giving you this picture and this prototype. Now I want you people to do it right here. It's a, It's a... It's a model. Right? We were talking about this the other night. It's a model. A little car. That is not the fullness of the car. Have a, I had to go, I had a business call the other day and I drove by the Lamborghini store of Houston. Like, oh, I just want to, I'm going to go. I'm going to make a field trip there. Just saying. Right? I used to grow up and I'd have the little model cars. (laughs) <laughs> I'll take you with me, Ms. Pat. <laughs> we'll go together. <laughs> By the way, when you call, they're like, you cannot take it on the test drive. I'm like, I know. No, they say it about 10 times on the call because I called to set up a field trip. Um, but if you have the model, 
And you can learn a lot about it. And you can, the better the model, the more intricate the detail, right? It's perfectly to scale. But you're not going to drive your, you're not going to drive yourself around in the model. It's trying to teach you something about it. It's trying to allow you to interact with it and get a perspective on it so that one day when you see the real deal, you're intimately familiar with it. His kingdom came. His will was done here on earth when he gave Moses this temple. He gave him the articles that are supposed to be in the temple. He's referring back to all of that by a new and a living way, one that exists without end. For us that through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest, a great priest, a high priest, a great priest. Turn back just a few pages to Hebrews chapter 7. Verse 17. Let's go to verse 16. One who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest. How long? Forever. Forever. Oh, it's almost like it's a new and a living way. One that does not end. He's a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Take a look down in verse 23. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but Jesus lives forever. He has a permanent priesthood. Everybody say a permanent priesthood. Almost it's like that new and living way. Therefore, He is able to save completely those who come to God through Him because He always lives to intercede for them. I'm going to read that again. And I'm going to go ahead, and I know it's a Wednesday night, and we've all been working. It's been long. Um, you need to get more excited about Hebrews 7.25. I'm sure it was something about how I said it there. I, I will take all the fault. And I'm going to read it again. And if you want to insert something, because it interacts with your soul in a certain way, because this is a new and a living way, let's read it again. Therefore, He is able to save Completely, Those who come to God through Him because He always lives to intercede for them. Our Savior and King lives to intercede for us. He lives for us to be in union and communion and unity with Him. That is what His desire is. That is what His heart is. So when we are pursuing Him with all that we have, mistakes and all, when we put all that we have going towards Him, don't you think that pleases Him? Yes. Don't you think that that has something for us to build our confidence in? Because we know that we are acting in perfect alignment. We have grabbed a little bit of heaven. We've grabbed uh, a little bit of the kingdom. And we're making it manifest in our life. People around us may not be, but this guy, but you guys are going to walk the way the kingdom teaches us to walk. We're going to go ahead because <laughs> Jesus is able to save completely. those who come to God through Jesus because He always lives. I love words like that when it's talking about Jesus. He always lives to intercede for them. Amen? Back to Hebrews 10. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near to God. If He's always interceding for us, if He is able to save completely, if He is forever a priest in the order of Melchizedek, you know what we can do? We can draw near to God. Not going to get a new uh, ruler in here. Not going to get somebody who decides to change the rules on you halfway through. You're going to have a company fold after you've been there long enough and you think you they owe you something and they fold up or, or wimp out on a warranty or you know whatever they might do. Let us draw near to God with what? With a sincere heart. With a true heart. With an untainted heart and full assurance. Everybody say full assurance. Full assurance. Of faith. Do you have full assurance of faith today? Are you walking in a full assurance? Because if you're not, you need to. If you're not, if you've let fear and insecurity get in there, if you've let your own whatever get in there, How about we look at the Scripture and say, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Full assurance of faith. You need to be walking in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled 
to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Are you walking around with a guilty conscience instead of one that's been sprinkled? These are being set as opposite things, right? Full assurance of faith or a guilty conscience. Which one do you want to have? I want the full assurance of faith. That's exactly what I want to walk in. Why? Because it's been sprinkled. Now here's the, here's the dividing line. You've got full assurance of faith. You've got a guilty conscience. And what's in the middle? Your heart being sprinkled. Having our heart sprinkled to cleanse us. When you go throughout the Bible, you see that things were sprinkled, what? To be cleansed. In order to be set apart. In order to be used in a holy place, they had to be sprinkled. They had to be cleansed and sprinkled. Again, these words are chosen very much intentionally. The people would not have lost it. We can lose it. We may not understand fully. We may not realize that he's referring back to everything that happened in the temple. They would take the blood and what? And sprinkle it. When Moses, uh, he did this to the people of, of Israel. He sprinkled them. When the priests were ordained, they were sprinkled with blood. The mercy seat was sprinkled with blood. These words are very intentional here. Sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. What they understood that would cleanse an item that would be done in atonement for sin. And now he's making it personal and saying, this is what will cleanse you from a guilty conscience. And having our bodies washed with pure water. Look at verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly. I love that word. Uh, in older translations, I remember growing up, let us, let us hold fast. Let us hold fast. Let us take this thing. The word unswervingly is a compound word in the Greek. It's something that means to put down and it means to grasp hold of. So you grasp hold of it so tightly, you're just not going to let it go. It is unswerving. No, no, no. Uh, no, this is not going anywhere. It's just not going to happen. You cannot remove this from me. Let us hold unswervingly. To what? To the hope. Encouraging words, amen? Building our confidence. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Why? Because we're so fantastic? For He who promised is faithful. It's His blood that sprinkled and cleansed us. It's, it's His blood that pulled back the curtain, that tore the curtain so that we can enter in. It's that confidence that we have. Our confidence is in Him. Our confidence is saying, you are the one, but if you live inside of me, if your kingdom is coming inside of me and your will is being done in me, then just like it is in heaven, it can be right here in my life. It can be right here in this church, just the way it is in heaven. Isn't that, isn't that the way it feels when we have a great worship service? Doesn't it feel like heaven literally just came down and kissed earth? When, when someone comes and prophesies to you and it is a right word in due season, is it not just like the Proverbs say, and it's like apples of gold and settings of silver? Isn't it not just divinity that comes and meets and, and gives us this redemption right there in that moment? You're like, oh, thank you, Lord. I needed that word. Oh my goodness, I needed that word. I needed that encouragement. I need whatever it was. Thank you for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider. As soon as we get our confidence up, you know what immediately happens? after we decide that we are going to hold unswervingly to this hope because He is faithful, you know what we do? The very next verse tells us exactly what a real person who's got confidence in Christ does. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We immediately start thinking about our neighbor. We immediately start thinking about the word consider there. We think. We contemplate. We we evaluate, we watch, we observe. I'm going to think, I'm going to consider, I'm going to be sitting at home at night and I'm thinking about Cody. Amen. I do. I'm, I'm thinking about, I'm praying for Cody and I'm going, Lord, Lord, how can I encourage him towards love and good deeds? Lord, Lord, how can I? This is what I do. I sit around and go, Lord, I want to consider. You tell me that I'm supposed to consider. I want my confidence in order. Why? So I can quit thinking about myself and I can start thinking about other people. Amen. How can I encourage my brother? Lord, is, is it that someone needs just to come along and, and have a, a cheerleader for him? Are they down? Lord, are they, are, 
Lord, are they walking holy? God, is there some word that you can give me for them? This is what I do. I, I sit around and I think this way. Not because I'm anything than other than what the kingdom is trying to be here on earth. Amen. I'd say in that respect, that is a very average way that we should all be. Don't you love our church? Yeah. Don't you love our church? So we're saying all these things that are people looking at and going, wow, that's a real tall order. And we're going, yeah, I think that's the minimum, actually. You mean you want us to give 10% of our money? Actually, that's the minimum. Your tithe that we give, we don't take, we don't pass something. We leave it over in the corner. You know why? Because we expect, our expectation as a church is that if you're coming here and this is your home, then you will give not only any 10%, you're going to give your first 10% to the Lord. Lord, I give it to you first. You know why? I'm not going to pay all my bills and then give it to you. You know why? Because what if I run out? What if I decide to spend it poorly? I'm going to give it to you first before I know how much I'm going to have left over. Because I, I want to put you first in my life. Amen. And when I do this first, when I put you first, when I seek the kingdom first, I'm going to trust that what I need, you will give me. Yes. If you leave me to my own devices, I will get what I want instead of just what I need. Hmm. There's a little detour there. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Hmm. Verse 25, let us not give up meeting together. Um, angel, does it say, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together? King James, let us not forsake the assembly. That's where I first learned this scripture. Let us not give up meeting. I actually like the word forsake. It reminds me of a scripture in Hebrews 13, 5 that says that the Lord will never leave us and He'll never forsake us. He's never going to become separated from us, nor is He going to turn His affections away from us. I think of the word forsaking and I think it, it, is a, it is an emotional, a spiritual, an inward turn away from somebody. I might even stay close to somebody and I could forsake them. Another good King James verse, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor, their seed, nor his seed begging for bread. I've never seen God turn His heart from anyone who's fully devoted to Him. He will not. He has promised that He will not turn His affections anywhere else. Amen. Wow. Let us not turn our affections away from meeting together. I'm here. I'm here. You know why I'm here? Because my dad told me to. Because my wife makes me. Because my friends. And I feel kind of <laughs> obligated. You know? If you're... <laughs> Don't turn your affections away from meeting together. Even if you're here. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. All the more. This was written a long time ago. It says all the more as you see the day approaching. You know what? We're a lot closer than they were. All the more. How much more should we be encouraging each other and meeting together? I need, I need you. I will here, stand here publicly and say, I, Wade Sutherland, need you. I do not want to do this Christian walk without you. Amen. Our church is better when each of us engage with what God has designed us to do. Come on. This church is not the same unless you are fully functioning the way God has for you. Again, our minimum standard here, we're so glad that you come. But if you're not fully engaged with what God's doing, that is our minimum standard. That each of us, each of us, me, you, are fully functioning, fully running after God, fully pursuing Him, fully trying to make His kingdom come and His will be done. And if we're not all doing that, then we're not quite there. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Come on now. Come on now. All the more. Everybody say all the more. All the more. As you see the day approaching. Now, here's the first part of the, of the encouragement of our, uh, courage sandwich here, right? Okay? <laughs> let, let your, let your confidence, our confidence sandwich. Here's the, the first part of it. By the way, I'm, I'm kind of a sandwich guy. Like, I could literally eat sandwiches three days, three times a day. I, I, I really can. I, it's terrible, I'm sure, and 
I literally can be completely satisfied with sandwiches all day long. Don't, don't need a lot to, to keep you this guy happy, right? So I'm making you a sandwich tonight. Okay. So there is your confidence sandwich. There's the first part. We've, we've encouraged it with, uh, we've coded it with drawing near to God and encouraging one another and not forsaking. Now, this next part is still a part of the confidence sandwich. Okay. This is part of it. And we're going to, we're going to end, guess what? With the other part of the confidence sandwich. Right. But right now, I don't want you to think that we have entered something entirely different. This is one passage of scripture. And so we're going to, we're going to engage it and we're going to see what God has for us. Verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. But only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. It seems, if you're not paying attention, it seems like we have just taken a dramatic turn somewhere else and we're no longer trying to trying to encourage people to persevere. We're no, no longer trying to build their confidence. We are absolutely trying to do this. Amen. This is part of your confidence being built. This is. And we speak about it um, often here in this church. If you don't address this, then what is your confidence really about? If you don't say, hey guys, we would be a mess as a church if we say, if we... Does he say you? If you people, you, all of you people. I am reading this in front of you and I'm reading it exactly the way it says. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth. What does it say? No sacrifice for sins is left. Do you know why? Would you look up in verse 18, please? Same chapter. Go eight verses prior to that. What does it say? And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Uh, let's go one verse before that, verse 17. Then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where, they have, where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. When I read that, I don't feel heavy at all. I actually feel incredibly encouraged. Why? Because he's saying, when I forgive you, it's forgiven. When I have offered and poured out my blood for you, that thing is done. We have conquered it. I'm not even going to remember it anymore. We have overcome this. So once it's overcome, and we decide to keep going back to it like a dog goes back to his vomit, what is there left? He's already paid for it. There is no sacrifice left. Why? Because his sacrifice was complete enough the first time around. And if you're going to ignore the sacrifice... There's no sacrifice left. There's no sacrifice left if we keep sinning. This is, let me, let me encourage you this, in this. Sometimes the softest hearted people, when we say something like this, fall under this crushing weight. And at the end of the service, they will come down and fall into a bomb shelter like, I want to have a mature footing on this, okay? In one place it says this is because it is fully done. What we're talking about is people who willfully, hard-heartedly, completely give themselves over to a sinful life. This is exactly what we're talking about. Would you hold your place here and turn to Psalm 19, please? Psalm 19. Verse 12. Who can discern his errors? Things that you do that are incorrect and you really, you, there's an ignorance factor there. I didn't, I didn't know. Forgive my hidden faults. Now I know and I'm trying to hide it from all you people. It's almost like the Lord is giving us a, a progression to see how these things work in our lives. Keep your servant also from willful sins. 
I was talking to Nolan last night, and I said, you know what, Nolan? If I think about it, I think most sins in my life are just because I wanted to. Not be overly spiritual about it. I desired to do something, even when I knew the Lord had said something else, and I just did it. I can think it through. I can explain it away. I can justify what I did. And the truth is, is I just wanted to do it. I've also learned that whatever I want to do that's righteous, I do. I pay whatever the price. I go as far as I need to go. I do anything that's necessary. If I really want to do it, I don't allow sickness. I don't allow discouragement. I just decide that this is what's going to happen. This is a pretty pretty interesting force, the power of our will. Amen. What we will to do. It's God's good pleasure to will and to give us to act according to His will. Right? Keep your servant also from willful sins. If you're walking in willful sins tonight, I'm going to give you some learned wisdom from the ages. Stop. Amen. It, it really is that straightforward. No explanation needed. Just stop. May they not rule over me. Because if you don't stop them when they're willful sins, you know what happens? They start ruling over you. That's right. You think that you can are in control of this, but you are no longer in control of it. You are literally bound. You have placed yourself and said... <laughs> You have no, you have no power. The, the Lord has already done these things. He's already rent the temple. He's already cleansed me. You know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to chain myself to this thing. I'm going to chain myself. I'm going to give you the authority to bash me in the head. Well, that's a great idea, guys. That's wonderful. But you know why we get to where it's ruling over us? Is because we were willful with it long enough. And then it rules over us. And then what do we get to? Then may I be blameless, uh, innocent of Great transgression. Error, hidden fault, willful sin, things that rule over us that we can't control. And what happens? Then it, <laughs> then we get to a point where this is great transgression. Can we go back to Hebrews for a second, please? Hebrews 10, 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice is left. It's as if you have cancer, I got a call. I got a text from a friend right before service, battling cancer. Brother, I'm in pain. We're stressed out. Like I feel like I'm gonna go crazy. Before I walked out here for prayer, I texted him about four or five verses. <laughs> His response was, "Yes and Amen!" Exclamation point. It's like if my friend who I've known for years. It's like if I gave him the cure for his cancer, I have it in a vial, and I hand it to him and say, this is the solution for everything that you're going through. The pain, it is ravaging your body when he looks at his seven-year-old boy, when he looks at his four-year-old and his two-year-old daughters. He's afraid that he will never walk them down the aisle. And I say, man, I've got it. I've got it for you at great expense. I've come across the world and I'm going to give it to you now. And he grabs it and he takes it and he looks at it and he throws it on the ground and stomps it. That's all that there is. There's no sacrifice left. There's nothing else that I can do for you. Why are you choosing your life of sin and death? Why are you choosing the cancer when we have the solution? If we deliberately keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there's nothing left. This feels such like such a heavy and a negative thing, and we can use it and pow, yeah. I think that is, is, is accurate, and when I think about it in this context, I'm heartbroken. Yeah. Yeah. Lord, I don't want to do that. What is he doing? He's trying to encourage our confidence and say, this, I have to speak truthfully to you so that I can encourage your confidence. This is a possible outcome. If you keep on doing the things that you know are wrong, what else do you want me to do? What, what else? If there's nothing left, only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Now listen to verse 28. Anyone who rejected the law of the Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. 
Um, remember when God came down on Mount Sinai and he prophesied to a whole nation all in the same day and gave them his law? When people ignored that on the testimony of two or three witnesses, they could be put to death. Look at verse 29. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? Trampled underfoot. It took the vial of the solution to their problems, which was the blood of Jesus Christ, and they stomped on it. Do you have any sympathy? I... (laughs) Your heart may break for them. And at the same time, don't you go, you've made your decision. I'm flabbergasted that you would choose that. And and I, I don't have any sympathy for that. You've chosen that. God, that's terrible. I I know what's coming. The, The fire of his judgment is coming and I'm heartbroken for that. And... This is what you've decided. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Now here's here's what it is for us. Lord, may I not trample you underfoot? Obviously intentionally, but Lord, I don't even want to do that unintentionally. Who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant. You know what I was looking at? when I looked up the word unholy. Another word for unholy is common. You were in a Latin background, it would be vulgar. The Latin vulgate. You know what that means? It was written in Latin for the common man. Common. If you treat as common, unholy is one thing. But what he's saying here is this, if you treat as common, I looked and tried to figure out if there were a corresponding Hebrew words for this. And what I looked and I found was two different words that were associated with it. The two words are ichad, and uh, Kabar. It is unity with society. When you unify yourself, when you take the things that are high and lofty and you make them common, you unify them with the methodology of this world. You know, it's actually, that other word, society, is actually a word that means spells as well. When you try to take things that are holy and you make them common, you have made it unholy. You have you are bringing condemnation on yourself. A few people that I thought of, I think I'm just going to reference these because I want to I finish out with this passage. In Genesis 4, you get the story of Cain and Abel. One who brings a holy and a righteous sacrifice to the Lord. One who brings something that is not completely holy. Just brings him some of his fruit doesn't bring the best, doesn't bring the right things to God. In 2 Samuel 6, you get Uzzah. David is trying to bring the Ark of the Covenant back where it belongs. They put it on a cart, which by the way is never the way the presence of God is designed. That's the way the world, the enemies of God, sent the Ark of God back on a cart. The people of God who knew better also tried to move it and transport it on a cart. Why do we go as hard as we do against man-made systems? Because that's like trying to put the ark of God on a cart. The ark of God is always designed to be carried on our shoulders. If you carry it another way, oh, but look, it's moving. I'm transporting it. What you're doing is irreverent. You're making something that is holy and you're making it common. If I can use um, marketing techniques and build the church, you know what I've done? If I'm trying to use the latest business techniques to incorporate into our body, am I not trying to take things that are common? Am am I not pulling down God's standard or trying, I'm not going to actually be able to pull down the standard. What I do is I leave his standard and I just settle for something less. I want to be a man who carries the very presence of God. And it's done on my shoulders. It's done on your shoulders. There's no shortcuts in the kingdom. You cannot get there 
You can't click your heels and wish you were home. You've got to actually put it on your shoulder and man up and carry this thing. Uzzah put his hand on the ark because it was about to teeter over. And I remember growing up and going, well, he tried to keep it from falling. Isn't that good? In 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 7, it says, the Lord struck him dead because of his irreverent act. Don't put your hand up on that. Don't you touch the things that God has anointed and said don't touch. Just don't do it. In Numbers 3, um, we get the sons of Aaron who bring a strange fire and are killed for it. In Acts chapter 5, we get Ananias and Sapphira who instead of bringing a pure offering before the Lord, they, 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 sold, they sold something and, were gonna, and they said they brought the entire offering to the Lord. They could have literally said and given any amount that they wanted, but they decided to gain something from it personally. The Lord said, No, that's irreverent. You have made something holy. You've made it common. And God won't have it. Turn, uh, Keep your place in Hebrews 10. Turn to Ezekiel 22. Ezekiel 22. In verse 26. Ezekiel 22, 26. It says, Your priests do violence to my law and profane my holy things. They do not distinguish between the holy and the common. Isn't that what we're studying on Monday nights? Going through Exodus, isn't God able to distinguish between His righteous ones and those getting judgment? Isn't, can't He do both at the same time? He can show upon whom His favor rests and judge the ungodly simultaneously. Her priests do violence to my law and profane my holy things. And here's how they do it. They do not distinguish between the unclean and the clean. Oh, I'm sorry. I skipped one. They do not distinguish between the holy and the common. They teach that there is no difference between the unclean and clean. Good God. When you say, ah, it's all okay. We could just kind of do it any way we want. I mean, our hearts are right, right? When you don't teach that there is a difference between that which is clean and that which is unclean. There's a distinction between the holy and the common. And they shut their eyes to the keeping of my Sabbaths. Yikes. So that I am profaned among them. What is profanity? Profanity is something that should be, it's a part of our speech that is of the most debased nature. It is the lowest form of communication that we can have. Why they pick certain words in certain languages, I'm not sure that I understand all that, but we've all decided that these words are profane because it's base. We have profaned the Hashem when we do not say that there is a distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous. Her officials within her are like wolves tearing their prey. They shed blood and kill people to make unjust gain. And on and on it goes. Verse 30, I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. He's going to find some here in this place. Amen. We're going to be a people. And I realize that we are not the only ones, but even if we were, it makes it no less honorable of a task for us to achieve to say there is a difference between clean and unclean. There is a difference between holy and unholy. And even if you don't always see it rightly in me, I'm still declaring to you, even if I don't make it, there is a difference between righteousness and unrighteousness. Amen. And we're going to stand for righteousness. Amen. Back to Hebrews 10. Who is treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified him. Isn't that the most, isn't that the biggest insult that you can get? Somebody does something for you and someone not just ignores you, but turn around and insults you. Can I encourage you? So many of you are going to, be in a fivefold ministry, you're devoting your lives to this. That happens. 
you're a shepherd over sheep, that happens. You're going to literally give your entire life for someone and they will turn and accuse you of the most base and unholy things. And you know what we do? We hurt, we cry, and we keep pursuing it. We, we do, it's not that it doesn't hurt. It tears you apart. And you know what you do? You go, Lord, may this be as a sacrifice unto you. I will not be deterred from what you've called me to do. <laughs> might cry my eyes out, but I'm not going to stop because you are worthy. You are worthy, Lord, and I will never pull back and I will never stop. And who has insulted the spirit of grace, verse 30. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. Who said that? Uh-huh. And again, the Lord will judge this people. Don't you worry about it. That's why we love the story of Abigail and Nabal. She went and fell at the feet of King David. And it stayed David's hands from killing Nabal and all the men in his camp. And you know what God did? God took care of it. He always will. Whether you see it or not, he will always take care of you if you stand righteously. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That is the middle part of our sandwich. Now that everyone is... You should feel weighty about these things. I do not intend at all to pull away from the weightiness of what we just read. You should. Because when you've considered these things, we can see how the word will continue to build our confidence. Verse 32. Remember those early days after you had received the light? When you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. He's not even saying you were the one that was poorly treated the whole time. You were poorly treated and you stood with those who were poorly treated. No, not running away. Because my God won't leave and forsake me, I'm not going to leave and forsake others. I'm going to stand with you. And, and he says, remember? Hey, remember? Hey, you remember that? Remember that time? Hey, you remember when? This is supposed to be an encouragement. Hey, remember when you were successful in the things of the Lord? Hey, I know this has been real heavy, right? Okay. Hey, remember? Man, remember when you gave me that word and it was just right on? Hey, you remember when the Lord told you this? Do you remember those things? Oh, I, I, it's kind of fuzzy. I, I need to think on these things. You know, the things that we're supposed to remember are only about the Lord's goodness. We can put all the other things behind us and press towards for the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. But what we can do is we can have like Joshua who crossed the Jordan River take some stones from the middle of the river. Remember the middle, the dead center of your problem? Let's take some, let's take some stones out of that. One for each of the twelve tribes. You know what? Because when you get through and you can build, you can, you're going to build an altar and when your children ask you why is that there, you're going to go, let me tell you what the Lord did. Amen. Hey, this is, this is a cool story. Let me tell you about it. At flood stage, worst possible case scenario. God told us we were all scared and we walked through and he, he did just like he had done with Moses. Same God, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's almost like he's given us a new and a living way that won't end. When you turn your memory, remember the good that the Lord has done. Don't remember all the other stuff. I kid around, I, I have a pretty poor memory. I actually do. Because I just, at least when it comes to, Christy, was, she asked me something today. She said, hey, do you remember this? And I was like, <laughs> remember that time we, was somebody mean to us? She's like, oh yeah, I remember that. No. I have no desire to remember those things. Only if I can remember Jesus coming through in that situation, do I even care to remember it. Hey, remember, remember those early days. Verse 34, you sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Amen. I'll give it all up for you, Lord. You know, when I think of that in, in, in my mind at this point in my life is Pastor Mario Salinas. If I understand the story correctly, they were trying to take, uh, not trying to, he was in the process of having his truck stolen, a truck that had just been given to him I don't know, a month earlier. 
The Lord blessed him, gave him a truck for he and his wife and his five beautiful girls. Person was stealing his truck at gunpoint. You're not going to steal my truck. You know why? Because I'm going to give it to you. Joyfully accepted the confiscation of his property. You're supposed to be serving the Lord. I'm going to let this be a ransom for you serving the Lord. I give it to you. What? What in the world? Oh, that's right. It's of another kingdom that he displayed in that moment. That is not of this world. That is of a different kingdom. Because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possessions. Oh, this world is not my home. That's right. Sometimes I can forget that, but it is not. This is not where I'm trying to build a legacy. Verse 35. So do not throw away your confidence. Don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Don't throw away your confidence. So let me let me pester or pastor, whichever I'll do at this point. Same difference sometimes. All right, men. You know one of the main problems with when when men get caught up in pornography? It causes it can cause them to throw away their confidence. Of course, it perverts it perverts their mind, it warps their heart, it separates them from God. It does a lot of things. And even when they can become clean, even when God causes them to be victorious, you know what they have in the back of their mind if they're not careful? It can cause them to throw away their oh God really can't use me. Huh. Wow. Hey women. Ladies, hey, you know when we get caught up in the DIY shows, you know what's really dangerous about some of those things? I don't care about the shows in particular. You know what I'm really worried about? That you're always looking for a life that is not what you have. There's a lack of satisfaction with the life that God has given you, with the husband that God has given you. It's not as dreamy and as romantic well, you know, you can ask my wife, uh, I am not the most romantic of people. I need, I, need, I need a lot of help. But ladies, the same thing that the men can do with a, with a pornography, sometimes if we're not careful, women, on a much, it's much less offensive. Unfortunately, it can go under the radar that we're actually not satisfied with the life that we have. We're always imagining envisioning, dreaming about something else other than what God has given us. If, what, if you are not satisfied with what God has given you, it can cause you to throw away your confidence. You're always looking for something else, for someone else. You're always maybe not saying it, maybe you're doing the right thing on the outside, but on the inside you're just you're throwing away your confidence because this just isn't the life that I thought it would be. Can I tell you how many times I've talked to pastors' wives and they've said that? It's just, what do you expect it to be? Well, I mean, I knew it would be hard. I knew it would be a difficult life, but oh, there was something else in there that you were expecting that's not actually what God is providing for you? Is He not enough for us? Is His goodness not rich enough for us? What else do you need besides His presence in your life? If we have confidence, then those things do not eat away at us and cause us to become less than what God intends. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere. Everybody say, I need to persevere. So that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. We start off with a confidence sandwich. We get to some things about we can't keep singing, sinning or there's no sacrifice left. And then, can you feel it in this passage? I can feel it in the room. I don't know if you can feel it. I can feel it standing here that, oh, amen. Oh, 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 oh. We're starting to lighten up again, right? This is our confidence sandwich right here. 
So don't throw away confidence. Uh, it will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere. The reason he's saying keep your confidence, don't throw it away, is because you're going to need your confidence to be able to persevere. Right. If you throw away your confidence, you're not going to want to persevere. You're going to, <laughs> you're going to crumble. So that when you have done the will of God, not your will, but His will, you will receive what He's promised. You know why? Because He's faithful. Oh yeah, He just said that a few verses before. He who promised is faithful. If you do what He says, you will receive what He has promised. For in just a very little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay. Have you ever felt like you're just going to wait for forever? How can it feel this way? What this is saying to me for tonight is this. When He does come, He won't delay. There's not, a lot, there's not any time to fix it from there. You, you can't go back and undo. He's, when, he, when this thing gets fully... When the kingdom is coming down and it sets up here, there's no time then to do it. When He's coming, He will come and not delay. But my righteous one... The note in my Bible says, but the righteous... You can look at this as an individual thing. You can think about it and contemplate it and dwell on it as an individual and we can think about it as a church. But my righteous ones or ones will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. I don't want to back up. I don't want to shrink back. I'd rather be scared. I'd rather be nervous. I'd rather be uncertain. I would rather fall flat on my face. I would rather fail. I would rather anything else besides back up. I would rather die moving forward for Christ than live as a coward. I would rather go forward even if it cost me my life than to retreat and have my Father lose pleasure in me. And if it stopped there, it would be encouraging. The last verse. But we are not of those who shrink back. That's not us, by the way. In case you got all caught up in the middle of that and still are dwelling there, he ends it with this. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. But we, our makeup, who we are, is of those who believe and are saved. That is our destiny. That is the expectation that the Word sets for us in this room. As we go wholeheartedly, He's saying, my expectation is, is you're not going to shrink back. You're not going to fail. <laughs> you're not going to be destroyed. You're going to be, you're going to believe because it's going to be shown in your actions and you're going to make it. You're going to be victorious because His same power is resting in us. It's alive in us. He's made this new and living way because of His blood. This is our confidence sandwich tonight. As prescribed here in Hebrews 10. You know what we're going to do? We're going to, uh, Pastor Matt, if you will, come on up. Because we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, we're going to take communion. If the middle of this message tonight is still resonating in you and there are things that the Lord showed you and you are walking in willful sin, again with my brilliant uh, wisdom, stop it. Stop. Don't let there be any excuse for continuing. Not one excuse in the world is worthy of eventually it getting to what Hebrews 10 says. 10.26 says, just stop. Let God's power break whatever chains you've allowed and that you requested. And hopefully, it's not that you like the chains. Sometimes, unfortunately, people actually like the feel of the chains that they wear. I prayed for such a man in, in Mexico. A lot of you men were up on the roof. Came in there. He had a dream that his brother, he saw his brother in a coffin. I said, sir, that was not your brother in the coffin. He said, oh, yes, it was. And I said, no, no, it wasn't. That was the Lord warning you that you will be in a coffin unless you actually repent before Him. Oh, yes, I want to. I'm not sure that you do. I think that you actually like and you have invited demonic presence into your life. I think you actually like it.
please don't be so in love with your sin because you, if you love sin, you cannot love the Lord. Let's not be double-minded about this thing. Let's not be at an enemy, at an enmity with God. Evaluate your hearts. But as we take this communion, I don't want you to throw away your confidence. As we take this and we partake of the bread that symbolizes His body which was broken for us. Lord, You did this so I could be victorious. You did this and You opened the way. The blood that was poured out. These are symbols that we have. We do not believe that they become the literal body and blood of Christ. We're reminded that He's given us the victory. That He's won. That we are now made of the same substance that He is and we can take His kingdom and we can make it manifest here. Would you stand with me?